So uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. This would actually be our last passage in our series on Colossians, because I managed to sneak in under the cover of darkness, uh, preaching on verses 7 through 18 of chapter 4, kind of the last little epilogue, if you will. I managed to sneak that into other sermons without you noticing, kind of like my wife sneaks in vegetables to everything I once regarded as fatty and tasty. She like sneaks these, have you, what, uh, this is some new phenomenon where you, you take vegetables, grind them up, and sneak them into foods. I feel like it's kind of deceitful, personally, but uh, <laughs> I think it's good for me. So It's kind of what I did with verses 7 through 18. Uh, so this would be the end, except that I skipped over living Christ at home, the part about parents, fathers, kids, because Father's Day is drawing nigh. Uh, anywho, if you're new with us, we're at the tail end of our series in the book of Colossians. Learning, loving, living Christ. So let's read together Paul's words to this church in this town, Colossae. He says this starting in verse 2, chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Lord, through your servant Paul, you exhort us here to continue. The first thing he says here, continue steadfastly in prayer and This morning, Lord, I know for the vast majority of us, it's hard, you talk about continuing, but it's hard to even start in prayer. It's hard to get up the motivation. And Father, I think a large reason why that is for most of us to start a conversation with You is is because we feel like we have to clean ourselves up before we come to You. We feel like we have to do a number of things. We have to get some of the skeletons out of our closet. We have to rub, wipe clean some of the stains in our life before we can come to You and say, Lord, here I am. I love You. Before we can can approach Your throne. But Lord, that is a lie this morning. Father, that if we have trusted Christ, as Your Word says elsewhere, we're no longer subject to a slavery, a yoke, a fear, but a spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, we're in the right position because of Jesus Christ to just say, Abba, Father, and start talking with You. And so this morning, Lord, because we can just talk to You because of Jesus, because we have this immediate access to You, we don't have to clean ourselves up. We ask You would work powerfully through Your Word. You would teach us, you would grow us, you would guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopping fences, instead of using the gate, 
crossing the street instead of using the crosswalk, reaching for that spot to paint that's just out of our reach instead of moving the ladder, copying and pasting a supposedly individual email to multiple people, adhesives and duct tape instead of another trip to the hardware store. These often result in a face full of fence being brushed by a Chevrolet Suburban, uh, hoping, hoping that the fall is 10 feet, not 20 feet, uh, informing the wrong person that they got the job, or a shower head that falls on your house guest. <laughs> Some of the consequences to taking shortcuts in our life. We know them, we're familiar with them, we often reap the consequences of them. Where Katie and I used to live before in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, in the United States, this is the capital of Florida. We lived in the furthest sort of northeast part of town. Okay, I, mean, I put a map up here. Yeah, just to give you an idea. That's where we lived, furthest northeast part of town. We had some friends who were on the far kind of northwest part of town. And unfortunately, there was a massive lake in between. All right, just in that northern part. And so what you had to do is you had to hop in the car and go southeast for the first 15 minutes, you'll see this up here. Let's hop on the highway, 10 minutes going west, and then go north for another 10 minutes, you know, and then find the neighborhood and basically a 35 minute drive. Or you could take the shortcut Orchard Pond Road. Kate and I were talking about this yesterday. Uh, affectionately called, by the way, by one of my friends, the unpaved road through hell. And like hell, like many roads to hell, it started off looking nice, right? Oh, this is lovely. It looks like a nice country road. And it, w- it was paved for the first hundred yards until you descended into red clay. Then the terrain for the next eight miles was something out of a glorified monster truck rally. <laughs> no street lights, uh, only the sound of wildlife to guide your way um, or help you avoid that way. Uh, at least two or three abandoned vehicles, often which l- appeared to be burned. Uh, I don't know what that meant. Uh, old shanties uh, abounded everywhere. Like, the kind that were, could be inhabitable, you're pretty sure it'd be strange if they were. Uh, fog would descend immediately at, at, at dark. Right, it was basically a scene out of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> All right, it was just, Creepy. You never knew what happened next. It, it was a little bit of an adventure uh, when your car would dip into a small watery ditch that was crossing the road. You had no idea when you were coming out onto a road that was recognized by the city of Tallahassee. And uh, it was like a repeated miracle every time you came out the other side. For the risk of taking this road, for the risk of potentially ending your life abducted by people straight out of the movie Deliverance, the payoff was a 15-minute shortcut. And every time we would visit, Katie and I would always say, hey, let's plan enough time so that we can take the safe Google Map route. And, but each time as we got closer to our, our appointment, our time to get there, we would always say, well, it's just a little more time, a little more us time, a little more time for what we're doing, for me. And said, well, the heck with it. Let's just take the highway to hell. Once again, so we, we did, we saved 20 minutes and put our lives at constant risk. Now, 
What does this have to do with God's Word? Paul, Paul ends his exhortation here to the Colossians. His, his strong encouragement to the Colossians with these brilliant words about praying toward and acting on sharing Christ. Sharing Christ where He and they live, where they work, and where they play. Sharing Christ in these arenas of life. And the overall tone of everything he writes in this passage, I think, is this. In a nutshell, there are no shortcuts to sharing Christ with someone. God knows we've tried. We've tried to make them. But alternative methods consistently result in a hazy, unclear, even potentially dangerous presentation of Jesus Christ and the good news He brings. And what we see in these verses is that truly sharing Christ with someone who does not yet know Him or does not yet trust Him requires three things. It requires, and this is where we're going to go this morning, preparation. requires personal. It requires persecution. It requires some preparation. It requires a personal approach. And in a sense, it requires persecution. That sounds like fun. Three Ps. Trying to shortcut any of these will, over time, result in an ineffective life in giving away the reason for the hope that we have. There aren't any shortcuts. So let's start here. First, preparation. We see, first of all, Paul talks about preparing with prayer. Specifically in verse 2, he talks about being watchful in prayer. And what are we watching for? Well, he says in verse 3, We're watching for open doors. And we're praying for open doors. Always looking for them. As you walk with God, as you converse with Him, as you live with Him, looking for open doors to share the good news that you're celebrating as you walk with Him. What is an open door? And that's a big question, right? I mean, if you've ever asked someone to pray that God would open a door for you to share the good news with this person or that person. You know the situations if you walk with the Lord for any amount of time. What are we really asking for? We're usually asking for, Lord, please open a door the size of the Cayman Trench that I can just walk myself, my family, the greater Cayman population through. It'll be so obvious that the person will just ask, what must I do to know God? That's that's kind of the door we're often praying towards. Let me tell you, I've gotten that kind of question twice in my 33 years of living. So it really is an open door. I think we're thinking a little bit too wide of a door. Think narrower. Think any door. Any crack. When someone, I'll, I'll summarize it this way, what's an open door? When someone broaches a subject or experiences a life circumstances, dealing it all with eternity, dealing it all with a need, addressing a positive attitude uh, when it's something the Bible addresses, or when you just have 15 minutes or more with someone. That's an open door. For me, this last week, it was Earl, the starter at a golf course in Orlando. I played a round of golf this last week. It is very expensive to play golf here, and I like golf. All right, And so when I was there, I had this break at this conference, and I went out and I played some golf because it was cheap and glorious. And so uh, I was playing it, and, I, and, and I'm out sort of hitting some balls at the driving range, and this, this guy who's in charge of getting people to tee off at the right time and stuff said, hey, uh, what is that last name? German? Osh? And 
Lager. I like that lager part. I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure my ancestors really dug Oktoberfest. <laughs> and he went on to talk about how he took a German language class in college, but, he, but his professor assumed that he and everyone were, were fluent in the German language. And so this professor ignored the class, kept on teaching with the same angry German accent, and he, he basically never smiled. I said, yeah, right, we, we Germans are not exactly known for killing it at comedy clubs. <laughs> All right, you don't see a lot of German comedians out there. And he said, you know, well, you know, you seem to turn out all right. And I said, look, man, it may appear that way, and, and things that maybe happen that way, but you should have seen me before when I was the center of my own universe. See where I'm going, right? Boom, I'm in. That's an open door. When someone points out to you, man, hey, things seem to turn out well for you, or hey, uh, I appreciate how kind you are. I mean, use that's an open door. Because we know that only kindness comes through knowing Jesus, through bearing fruit in our lives, and you can point to Jesus. It's simple. And we kind of know it. We don't want to step through that door. Now, did I move too quickly? Just met this guy. Should have formed a relationship over time. Look, we always tend to think next time. When it comes to walking through that door, we always tend to think next time. For the majority of people for whom God opens a door, there won't be a next time for you to share Christ with them. So we pray. Pray for open doors. We also pray for clarity. Paul says, pray that I might make it clear as I ought to speak. Now, next week, I'm going to explicitly guide you through. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to make this gospel message very clear. It's going to be simple. I'm going to guide you through step-by-step how to make this message clear. Whether you know Jesus or not, you're going to get to either hear the clear message or just get a quick, refreshing guide on how to share it. But the fact that Paul asks for prayer, that he might make this mystery of God coming in the flesh to die for people, that that might be saved eternally, to, to make that message clear, that should be a great comfort to us. That Paul is doing this. I mean, if you read anything out there, if you watch the History Channel sometime and you, and you watch about the spread of Christianity, secular historians will usually credit Paul, the Apostle Paul, with the spread of Christianity. They'll say, well, it's not really Jesus who spread Christianity. It was Paul. Now, of course, it was Jesus working through the Holy Spirit. And it was the message Paul gave, the good news, the gospel, which was powerfully working. But what people are recognizing that Paul just went and shared, and he shared, and he shared wherever he went. And he is asking for prayer. I I need to know how to make this thing clear to people. That should comfort us. If he's asking for prayer for that, that same Holy Spirit who can make things clear is available to us. Show me someone pretty confident and their ability to communicate the gospel clearly, I'll show you a person who rarely shares it. To be honest with you, most people I met who, who are just confident, oh yeah, I know the gospel. There are often people who have thought through it clearly, who have distilled it, and, and got, but they're rarely out there sharing it. Show me a person who wonders, who ponders, man, I wonder if I shared it clearly, and they plead with God to use his or her bumbling words, I'll show you a person who consistently aims to find and walk through open doors. Man, Lord, please use these words. Or God, please use what I just said. Make it clear. So, so we first, we prepare by preparing through prayer. We also 
prepare your flavor. Look at verse 6 with me here. Chapter 4. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Strange phrase. There are two major food metaphors relating to the Christian in the New Testament. Fruit and salt. As far as it relates to the Christian, fruit and salt. And what they both have in common is one, both undergo a preparation process and, and also both are Palestinian favorites. In other words, okay, first, both are Palestinian favorites mean people like to taste them. All right, Jesus is saying this should be something flavorful, delectable, attractive to people. But they also don't just happen. They go through a preparation process. We're supposed to attract others, but the taste that produces such attraction only happens through daily knowing with, walking with, trusting in Jesus, preparing with Him, living with Him. He is the vine. We are the branches. He says, if a man remains with me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. In other words, if you connect with me, if you live in me, if you walk with me, you're going to bear that fruit that's attractive to people. Similar idea with salt. And elsewhere, he says in Matthew 5, you're not supposed to produce and talk about salt. You are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. You are salt to other people who don't know Jesus. By the way, you can add a third thing fruit and salt have in common. If they're producing no flavor, they're thrown out, burned up. It says this in John 15. These branches are burned up. They don't produce fruit. Salt, which is no longer salty, trampled. And that kind of makes an important point here because you often get one of two extremes right when living Christ in our daily life. We're either getting saltier, getting closer to Jesus, growing, but not extending flavor to others. Not handing out those samples. Right? A flavor to other people. You're having your quiet times. You've got the telephone booth relationship with God going. You're coming to church and you're worshiping Him and you're by yourself. Don't talk to anybody. Things are comfy cozy, but there's no extension of flavor to other people around you. Jesus says something we don't want to hear about that. He says, well, if that happens, you're just going to be eventually thrown out. There's the other extreme, which is sharing Christ with others, and you're doing your Jesus thing, but you're not really trusting Him. You're not really walking with Him. Maybe there's just secret sin in your life, but you're just trying to give the appearance of being a churchgoer and religious person. Or, or maybe it's you're doing the Christian life for brownie points with God. Not really trusting Him, but thinking the more I do, the more He's going to accept me and love me. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, So I do not run aimlessly. I don't box this one beating the air, but I discipline my body, keep it under control. In other words, he lives out the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of being in God's Word. He does this, look what he says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see what he's saying? I can go out there and share the salt, the flavor, the good news, but then I can actually be disqualified because I'm not walking with Jesus. That's a problem. People with whom you have a relationship will notice when the two aren't lining up. Your words and your life. They're going to notice. 
You have a relationship with them. Over time, you're going, they're going to notice they aren't lining up. I remember hearing a great story that illustrates how inconsistency will eventually be noticed. A newly promoted colonel in the U.S. military, he was moving into a makeshift office during the Gulf War. He just arrived. He was getting some things organized. Went out of the corner of his eye. He noticed a private who was uh, coming his way, and he had a toolbox in his hand. And the colonel, the new colonel, wanting to seem bigger than he was, wanting to seem something he was not, briskly spun around. He picked up his phone, said, uh, yes, General Schwarzkopf. Uh, yes, yes, of course. I think that's an excellent plan. I'll tell you what, you've got my support. Thanks for asking. Let, let's touch base again soon, Norm. All right, talk to you later, buddy. Bye. So he hung with the phone, turned back around. What can I do for you, Private? <laughs> private just said, uh, I'm just here to hook up your phone. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and this is what happens, right? In our, in our lives, we can say one thing, try to appear one way, but people will eventually see through it. You cannot fake flavor. You can't do it. You can't fake saltiness. You have to be salt. You have to be with Christ. People can taste the difference between the fakes and one who genuinely walks with Jesus. We also prepare through practice. Verse 6 literally should be translated that each know how to answer each separate person. If you want to walk in wisdom, if you want to know how to answer each separate person, you can find all kinds of answers and strategies of how to do this, tips and and books and, and seminars and sermons on sharing your faith, but there just ain't a substitute. There isn't a shortcut for practicing with people. Practicing on people. I know you're thinking, what if I get this wrong? Well, it's only through practicing, sharing the good news with others that Jesus has come to rescue otherwise lost people from the pain and everlasting death, on the one hand, to eternal life. It's only through actually doing it that you will obtain the motivation, the drive, and the wisdom to seek answers. You know what I'm saying? It's only through being with people and sharing this good news that you're going to say, people are going to say, yeah, but I have this question. Yeah, but I have this concern. Yeah, but I have this objection. And that's going to give you the motivations to look for answers, to go to a pastor, to a community group leader, to go online. We've got resources on our website to look for answers. It's not going to happen just through listening to sermons, going to seminars, and getting ready for five years to share your faith. It's not going to happen. Only through practicing. How will you know what people ask unless they ask you? What really will motivate you except a person in the flesh standing before you straddling the line between life and death? And I find that sharing Christ seems one area seems to be one area that God blesses and uses those who dive in even if they manage to screw up some of the particulars because that's how we learn to share Christ more clearly. People who dive in, who take the risk to share it, God blesses that. Requires a personal approach. Sharing Christ with others requires a personal approach. Notice in these verses, Paul refuses to outsource sharing Christ. Look, listen to what he says. He says, pray for us. Right in verse 3, he says, pray that I... I may make it clear. 
And then when he turns his attention to the Colossians, he says, look, let your speech be gracious so that you may know how to answer each person. How often do we outsource personal responsibility to share Christ? Honestly, I think we, we conjure up as Christians some of our most creative ideas to shortcut personal sharing. Right? I mean, uh, like Christian t-shirts. There's some clever stuff out there, but what are Christian t-shirts really saying? They're saying, I'd rather not speak. Please look at my 50-50 cotton collie blend. <laughs> Billboards, bumper stickers. Come on. I mean, non-Christians don't find, are you closer to my bumper than you are to Jesus? Clever. Now, it's okay if you have that. But don't, what I'm saying is, shortcutting, thinking that is going to somehow replace personal sharing, that's when it gets to be a problem. Bracelets, radios, tattoos. Inking yourself just to show your dedication, your sacrifice to share Jesus. And my favorite, I'll never forget when I was a younger Christian, my friend kept hyping that he had the most ingenious way to share Christ. And I was like, dude, show me. Watch this. And he, he reached into his pocket. He gave someone a mint. And he showed me the box. And the box on it said, Testaments. All right, Testaments. Each mint had a scripture on it. Now, first of all, <laughs> uh, who's going to look up a scripture? Like, if you have a scripture, John 3, 16, who's going to look that up? Like, they must be, oh my gosh, uh, what, what mystery is this? I'm going to Google this when I go home. Second, if I get a mint, I'm immediately going to put that into my mouth. All right, I'm not examining, like, the flavor crystals and, it, you know, and the etchings. I mean, it's just, I'm just popping that bad boy. <laughs> this is my point. You know, and, and there's other ways we do this. Big events, concerts, movie nights, festivals, uh, carnivals, uh, uh, all these things. Um, God can use these things, but few people trust their lives to Christ. Two people are transformed into disciples through this big event kind of work. It cannot replace personal sharing. Finally, another way we, we uh, take a shortcut, we direct them to someone else. That's a favorite, right? Uh, direct them to a book. I'll give you a book. I'll, here's a website you should check out. Uh, again, all these things are helpful, but they don't replace personally speaking and sharing Christ. What about the, I'll get, leave it to someone who's gifted in evangelism, i.e. not me. Or the favorite, I'll let my pastor do it. Slash, I'll bring them to church. Nothing wrong with inviting people to church. And in our church, we're, we're, you know, this is a welcoming atmosphere. People have come to know Christ through church. I, but it cannot replace what Paul is speaking about here. Personal sharing. By and large, conversion doesn't happen within church. That's why he says here, outsiders. He talks about uh, conduct yourselves wildly towards outsiders. That means you have to go out. Jesus says, Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Not invite everyone into church, all the nations. It is go. You need to go. In fact, one of the greatest differences between the Old and New Covenant, the Old and New Testament isn't you know, a lot of people think it's God of wrath, Old Testament, God of mercy, New Testament. It's more, if anything, it's Judaism is a come and see religion, and Christianity is a go and tell religion. Right? Even in the Old Testament, if, if someone came and saw the Jewish faith, saw, came to the temple, 
if you weren't a Jewish person, you were only allowed in so far. There was a court of Gentiles in the outer ring of the temple. It was a signal that you could only get so close, and we certainly were not going to you. But everything changes when Jesus comes, because just like Jesus came and pursued us by inhabiting the flesh, God inhabiting the flesh, becoming like us, pursuing us, loving us, acting before we could act. So we are to model that, to act, to go, to be uncomfortable as Jesus was uncomfortable. I'm going to give you a challenge. You can go and read through the first half of the book of Acts. For those of you who like to read the Bible, and look at the spread of the Gospel and the birth of the church. What you'll notice is a pattern. If you read through basically Acts 1 through about 9 to 11 maybe, uh, after initially telling thousands at Pentecost about Jesus, when believers, believers in Jesus after this gathered as insiders, they came together to learn, to grow through the apostles' teaching, to worship, to break bread together. And you know what they did then? They went out. Almost, you'll see this pattern, two by two. People would go out to share the good news. And you know what they did? They actually shared the good news. They didn't just invite people to a big event or hand someone a testament or say, you know, just come to church. They actually shared. And it's no coincidence because God is designed for an individual to be able to hear, to respond, to ask questions, to interact, to be discipled. And so because it's personal, I want to encourage us, make the best use of the time. As Paul says in verse 5, when he says make the best use of the time, this was, I don't want to get into all the Greek particulars, but it was basically language of the marketplace. Agora. It was, it was insinuating that buying up every available slot of time to share with others because it's a great investment. It's like someone playing the stock market and there's this great investment and you're saying, I'm going to buy it all up. Buy up the time to share Christ with others. It's the best investment you can make. What do you truly consider the best use of your time? Honestly. When you're on an airplane, what's the best use of your time? When you're during a coffee break in a business meeting, you're at the doctor's office waiting room, just sitting there waiting. You're at a reception waiting to receive food. When you're walking somewhere and you're walking next to other people or uh, when you're at the Pirates Week or Diamond Jubilee Parade or you're at a sporting or cultural event, you're in line somewhere, what's the best use of your time? Be honest. Is it this? I'll admit, for me, the smartphone, looking something up, multitasking, best use of my time. I just want to make the best use now. It tends to be something me-centered. Or we could say, there's something very simple. Yeah, there you Glad I had your number. It's perfect, that is. That was unbelievable. All right, uh, you, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're around people, you could, you could just say something simple like, hey, it's a nice night, huh? Just start a conversation. Where are you headed to? What brings you here? If you're at the doctor's office, I like to guess their medical condition. That breaks the ice. You know, like, uh, you in for gastroenteritis? You know, that's been going around. <laughs> I'll pray, let me pray for you. Now, when we try to make shortcuts for personally sharing Christ, people often don't hear. They leave confused. They don't understand how they, to respond. They can't ask questions. They miss out on being discipled and being taught how to obey, how to follow Jesus. 
Last thing, sharing Christ almost requires persecution. One of the easy details to overlook in this passage here this morning is that Paul is in prison. Paul's in prison because of sharing Christ. It's easy to overlook. He says uh, here in verse 3, at the same time, pray for us that God may open a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. We're not sure where. It was either in nearby Ephesus at this time or he was in prison in Rome. But brother's doing jail time. All right? And his one request... Right? Just like the one phone call you get in prison. You should get one request to like your community group. Please pray for me for this one thing. I'm in prison. What's his run request? His run request is for more opportunities to share more Jesus. If I'm in jail, especially for sharing my faith, if I'm in jail, I'm praying for guards who don't look the other way. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I'm praying not to get shivved or shanked or I don't know, whatever prison terms come about. All right? Not bad things to happen to me. Paul prays more doors, more opportunities. We talked earlier about being salt and light, not losing saltiness in Matthew chapter 5. Look what Jesus says right before he talks about being salt. Look what he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. I don't know what revile means, but it's bad. Revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, it's not because I'm quirky, not because I have weird habits and I make untimely jokes. That's not persecution. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he says, Be salt. Be salt. One of the great obstacles for sharing Christ is that. We who trust Jesus want it all. We want it all in our lives. Not just Jesus, but Jesus plus the good life. Right? Jesus plus enough me time. Jesus plus respect. And especially Jesus plus cool. One of the great errors we can make is trying to make Christ cool. Some of you, I'm going to speak very directly here, some of you are trying to hold on to Jesus while simultaneously trying to hold on to your cool. Understand this, the relationship between culture, the world, the outsiders, and salt will be primarily one of hostility. And guess what, friends? That's not changing anytime soon. Unless, of course, salt loses its saltiness. Unless you wish to change. I pray we don't. Earl, the golf starter, said he wanted nothing to do with hearing how a man who died on a wooden stick could save people. He didn't want that. He wouldn't even talk to me about it. He walked away mad, angry. That was very uncomfortable. I saw him three or four times for the rest of that round. There is no shortcut. At some point, if you love God, if you love God and truly love your neighbor, you will love them to the point of putting that relationship on the line for the sake of eternity. How else can you say you love them? Most of the time, people are going to say no. In fact, I'd go as far as to say if you aren't experiencing persecution in your life, you aren't doing it right. You aren't doing what right? Life or evangelism? Both. But the God, the God who wishes to be our number one, 
He wants it to be our all-consuming passion is pleased not by the quantity or quality of converts, but by the quantity and quality of our obedience to Him. That's what pleases Him. But God, here's the encouragement. God, friends, will use the preparation of just being close to Him, stepping out to share your faith personally, enduring junk from others who don't want to hear that they need rescuing and only Jesus can do it. God will use that to see a person, maybe two, maybe more, pass from death to life. So I want to leave you with this vision. A couple weekends ago, we had a baptism. Uh, three persons got up with me to be baptized. First shared, uh, especially uh, two of them shared, uh, of how they came to trust Christ through the teaching of God's Word here at Sunrise Community Church. Awesome. Uh, I, I shared first, actually, and then they shared. And I want to give you this vision, all right? Close your eyes with me, if you would. Out of the ocean side, celebrating new life in Christ through baptism. In this time, you, you are near, knee deep in the ocean. You're knee deep. And you step forward. Not to be baptized, but now you're standing next to the person who is going to be baptized. And you are first given the opportunity to speak about how you imperfectly, with a mixture of faith and fear, asking God for help, step through an open door, spoke up about Jesus, and watched Him work. Can you see that? We all are now celebrating a new life in Christ as now that person steps up to be baptized. Can you see it? Now, who is that person standing beside you? Lord, we want to pray this this morning into reality. We want to live this into reality. That we'd be willing to prepare to live with You, walk with You, pray with You, converse with You, look for open doors to watch, to practice, rather to personally share, even if it means people give us the cold shoulder. People don't like what we have to say. All of a sudden, we're not cool. We're more awkward. We're less common. Because frankly, Lord, a world has seen common. And they are looking for an uncommon life. They're looking for salt. Help us be that salt in Jesus' name. Amen.